this week's Adam Schefter post-Super Bowl 54 podcast, we'll be joined by the offensive coordinator of the world champion Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy, as he talks about what it's like to win a Super Bowl, to coach Patrick Mahomes, and to see his head coach, Andy Reid, finally win the big game. And then we'll be joined by the great ESPN sideline reporter, Lisa Salters, who was the Pro Bowl reporter when she found out that her friend, Kobe Bryant, had perished along with eight others in a tragic helicopter crash in Calabasas two Sundays ago. She covered the Super Bowl and in between returned to Los Angeles on Friday night to be the sideline reporter there for the game that honored Kobe Bryant between the Lakers and Trailblazers before returning to Miami to be the sideline reporter for the Super Bowl on a broadcast in Australia. Salters will recall her emotional week. But first, wanted to remind everyone that Scott Van Pelt has joined the podcast world. If you haven't already, download and subscribe to the SV Pod and the Adam Schefter Podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But first, a word from ZipRecruiter. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring simple, fast, and smart, and growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. Cafe Altura COO Dylan Miskowitz experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a director of coffee for his organic coffee company. But then he switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can too by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates faster. In fact, after posting his job to ZipRecruiter, Dylan said he was amazed by how quickly great candidates were applying and found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now, the world champion offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. And Eric, what does it feel like to be a world champion? You know what? It's a, it's a surreal feeling. Um, I don't even know if it's really actually set, a, set in yet. But um, after the game, I just spent time with my family um, talking about the emotions. They kept asking me the same question, and I just didn't know what <laughs> what to say or how to express it. It felt good knowing that our guys was were resilient enough to finish the game like we wanted to uh, and had envisioned all season long. But right now it's just I, I feel good. Uh, I'm excited. I don't know what exactly is going on in my mind, but I, I will say this. It's a, a, a great feeling of relief right now. <laughs> Why do you say relief? Well, it, it, one thing, because we work endless hours. I mean, there's a lot of time, energy, a lot of sacrifices at, at, that happens throughout the course of the season. And, and now you have that quote-unquote woosah moment where you can exhale and say, man, whew, the season's over. Yeah. Now we can relax. <laughs> you can get some sleep. You can enjoy a little bit of time off and just some time to yourself. You know what's weird, Eric? It's always the first weekend after the Super Bowl. I always 
remember, I wake up that Sunday morning and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I don't have to get up at 4.30 in the morning. I can <laughs> sleep in. I could watch Sunday television, read a news. I could do whatever I want on a Sunday morning. Last year, I remember I came downstairs. My wife was watching the show CBS Sunday morning. I'm like, what is this show? This is a nice <laughs> show to watch on a Sunday. You never get that time on a Sunday. So this Sunday, you can sleep in. I could sleep in. It's You get your life back to a certain extent, correct? Exactly. And it was just like today. And it, I mean, we had a 9 a.m. Uh, meeting with our players, end-of-season type meeting, but it wasn't one of those meetings where I had to be here at 5 or yeah. 4.30 in the morning. I mean, I, I set my alarm at 6. I don't think I climbed out of bed until about 7, 7.30, and I just took my time driving in, enjoying the traffic, and uh, just enjoying the moment of just taking my time coming to work. And so it's been, like I said, it's been a feeling of relief, but also just that exhale moment where you can say, ooh, man, this feels good waking up knowing that we finished the season off the way we envisioned it all year. There's an expression, enjoying the traffic. When do we get to enjoy the traffic on the way into work, right? <laughs> Well, uh, you can enjoy the traffic out here because there's nothing like the traffic that I've grown up with in California. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I understand that. Now, here's a Tom Rinaldi-type question. How does actually winning a Super Bowl compared to the way you imagined it would be? You you know what? Um, it, it feels good knowing that we won it. I will say this. The way our guys found a way to finish just shows you how resilient our team is. One thing I can say, and I'm very proud of the way we've handled it, especially on the offensive side of the ball, is that we've learned how to do things when things wasn't quite perfect. We have a tremendous quarterback in Pat Mahomes, and the kid is a very, very unique and skillful kid, whereas I think at times our players can get a little complacent because he always finds a way to make things happen. But when he got hurt, our guys, um, it kind of changed the dynamics of our team. And when Matt Moore came in, it, our guys rallied around him. And it was it was a huge moment in the season. At the time, you didn't realize it, but it was a huge moment because the growth process took off. The maturity levels, I mean, it, it just rose to a, a new level because they told him, we got you back. You just go out there and play. And from that point on, you know, guys started realizing that the challenges are going to be tougher and they're going to get tougher, but they found a way to make things happen when things wasn't quite perfect. And you look at the way that game went. We had some some highs and lows throughout the course of that game. But when it was all said and done with, our guys managed to maintain their composure, they maintained their poise, and they found a way to play to the final echo of the whistle. So you're telling me that Patrick Mahomes' knee injury, when he dislocated his kneecap in a Thursday night game in Denver, turned out to be a blessing for the team because it allowed the rest of the team to grow up and develop, correct? Yes. Yes, it did, because guys had to figure it out. You know, guys had to realize that, hey, you know what? Everything is not as easy as we think it may be. You know, we had Matt Moore come in, and, and, and not that Matt is a, is a slouch. Matt did a hell of a job of, of preparing. I mean, we spent an, an enormous amount of time of, of getting him ready. We always had contingency plans just in case that moment presented itself. I thought as a coaching staff, we had a great game plan mapped out just strictly for Matt, you know, if that, that, that ever happened. But like I said, guys rallied around him. They saw it as a challenge, but they also wanted him to know that, you know what, we're going to make this happen for you. 
You just be you, and we'll find a way to get it done. Well, because that's because Mahomes is so good, right? So we, we've watched this guy for a couple of years now, Eric, and you've got to watch him in practice. And I remember one member of your organization telling me in Mexico City that his first summer, his rookie year in training camp, that some of the coaches, some of the front office members couldn't wait to go back to watch the film of the third stringers because they couldn't believe the way the guy was throwing the football in practice. When did you know that Pat Mahomes was that different and that good? I'll tell you when. Uh, You knew when he came in the building, but when we played Denver his rookie year, I mean, you you just knew we had a special kid then. For him to go and play in that environment, not really playing a snap since the preseason, watching how he prepared for that particular game and knowing how confident he was, we just knew that we had something special then because the kid was – He's and, and I'm, I'm going to say this because I'm going backwards, too. Having that opportunity to have Alex in his corner and watching Alex, how he conducted himself as a professional, Alex Smith, and then talking. watching yep. Pat handle that week the way he did, that was it was an unreal uh, uh, moment in time in his career. And it was just, I, I believe from that point on, you just knew that this kid was, was going to be something special. And you've been around football for an awful long time. I and mean, we're talking about as a player with the Chargers from 1991 to 94 with the Bengals for a few years, the Eagles for a year. You've coached at Colorado, UCLA, the Vikings, Colorado again, and the Chiefs. Is there anybody that you've been with in the past that he has reminded you of at all? You know what, Adam? I've been blessed and fortunate to work with a number of players, and you know I've, I've had the opportunity to work with him. Maurice Jones Drew recruited and coached him in, um, in, uh, out of high school to UCLA. I had an opportunity to work with Adrian. I, re- I got to know Adrian when he was in high school, tried to recruit him to UCLA. I knew that wasn't going to happen, but working with him. And every player is different, and, and those are two great players that I just named. And, and working with Pat, he has his own twist to it. And he's a great player. And you would just have to say that, you know what, I've been blessed, but every one of them brings something different to the table. The thing that I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate of is just we get to have this opportunity to share this moment in time every single day. And it's been, it's been a, a surreal moment. And I'm just looking forward now to the next chapter. Does he do things away from the spotlight of the game that you see? that the fans don't, that we don't, that make you go, wow? Well, he just has a – first of all, he's a beautiful kid. He has he's, – he's humble. He works at it. He's a come-early, stay-late guy. He's, he's very detailed. He's always wants to know exactly what he's doing. If he's doing it the right way, he wants to be coached. He wants to be coached hard. Uh, he doesn't want to be told every time that he's doing this – uh, he's looking good at doing this. Not nah, he's a kid that you want every player to, to model because he's not afraid of, of criticism. Okay, that doesn't that doesn't uh, uh, drive him, you know, in a negative way. That actually focuses and forces him to focus on striving for perfection. You know, and so. Those are the things that makes him the special, unique person that he is. Eric, what did it mean to win that game on Sunday for Andy Reid? You know what it means? It, it means a lot. Just knowing the big fella for as long as I've known him and, you know, all the things that he's he's gone through as a coach, spending time in Philadelphia through the highs and the lows and just things that he's had to experience off the field and I mean, it's it's it, and I said this on uh, after the game. It's just a tremendous time in in history 
to be a part of because Coach Reed is he's he's a great man. He's also a great mentor who happens to be an outstanding coach. And so for us to have this opportunity to be a part of this with him, it, it means a lot. It means a lot, not just to us, but also many others who have had that opportunity to work with him or play for him because they know the type of man that he is. And he's such a great person. He's a, his character, the way he treats all of his employees, it just says a lot about how he's impacted and affected, you know, the people that he's touched in his life. So this is huge. It's huge in a, in a number of ways. Now, I have to ask you, you guys borrowed the fourth and one spinning play from my alma mater, <laughs> the 1948 Rose Bowl Michigan team that scored the touchdown. You brought it up post game. It got a lot of attention. People running the 1948 Michigan play side by side with the play in which Damian Williams took the direct snap on fourth and one and scored with that unique motion on offense and multiple players spinning out of the way before Williams received the snap and scored through that crease right by the goal line. Who comes up with a play from the 1948 <laughs> Michigan Wolverines? You know what? It's a collaborative effort. Um, we've we've been working on this, and we actually have a number of plays from that particular uh, <laughs> from that from Rose that, Bowl uh, from that game. Get and out of we've here. just been working that particular play for a long time, and we felt that was the right time to 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 to, to let it uh, happen. And I'm just glad the guys executed it, and they did a great job of of, of just making it happen. And like I said, when you work with a, a coach Andy Reid, yeah. you have to remain flexible. Now there is no such thing as we're just going to be uh, traditional in what we do and how we do it, you know. Because he has such a mind that goes beyond the normal thinking, and you always have to say, you know what? Hey, you got to be open to ideas. And so, with all of us putting all of our collaborative efforts forward, it's just a beautiful thing moving forward. And I, I look forward to to opening up our, our minds and expanding this offseason because I know what's on the horizon. <laughs> what's that? I, I'm not going to say. <laughs> more, more, more going back into more football archives. Like you said you have other plays from that very same game. So does that mean defensive coordinators next year are going to have to study the 1948 Michigan Wolverines when they're playing? The I'm not going to say. Who knows? We may not line up in the 1987 wishbone formation from the Colorado days. Just oh, 87 give... Colorado. Oh, boy. Now we're talking, E.B. Wow. Well, well, you know what? And if you got five downs, then two. Like, that would be something, too, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone. <laughs> you know, who was on that staff that I heard last week? Somebody. Oh, Andy Reid was on the Missouri staff. Yes, he was. Yes, when, he was. When, when you guys scored on the fifth down, right? Were you on You were on that CU team, correct? Yes. Yes, I was. Yeah, yes, yeah, I was. You, yes, you are. And that was a huge deal. And for those who don't know, I was a reporter for the Rocky Mountain News at the time. You're at the University of Colorado. So I've covered your endeavors, football endeavors here for 30 years, EB, right? So yes, Andy, you have. Do, do, do you and Andy Reid ever talk about the five downs that it took for CU to score the controversial touchdown during your national championship season in 1990? It always comes up. And because we're in the the state of Missouri, it, it, I mean, first of all, it came up in 1999 when I, when I first played (laughs) with him, played for him. And it's a continuous conversation because we are in the state of Missouri. But, uh, and I tell you, Adam, and, and I, I share this with everyone. We had no idea. And like I said, if you were part of that history and you knew exactly what took place, that game was one of the all time classics. We were going back and forth. And 
You know, now they'll talk about the fifth down from Colorado. We talk about how bad the field conditions were yeah. because if uh, the game would have been over, if they'd have, uh, my man John Bowman wouldn't have slipped. But we slipped all day. And But I will say this. That game was, is a historical game. It was two great teams that were battling back and forth. And we had no idea. We actually learned about it that we had five downs watching Sports Center that night. Now Jay Lewenberg was one of the only guys center. that actually yep. knew and we he was a center, so yep. he knew, but we had no idea. And so it happened. Um I'm not taking uh, it back and I'm not giving it back. <laughs> well listen, but, it helped you guys win the national championship in nineteen ninety. Yeah. So I ask you, how mm-hmm. does winning a national championship at CU compare it to winning a Super Bowl in Kansas City? You know what, there are two great moments in, in my lifetime that I'm very fortunate to to be a part of, you know, to experience. And the beauty of it is is just the the bonds that are formulated, the, the chemistry that it took to achieve those goals. And it, the only thing when you are when you're a young kid and you you have that opportunity to play for a national championship, that's all you ever wanted to do. And once you have an opportunity to play at this league or even coach in this league, the only thing that you ever want to do is reach the highest pinnacle, and that's just to win the Super Bowl. And so it's it's an overwhelming feeling of emotion. It's a surreal moment in, in time. But I will say this. It's it's something that wants you to go back, and, 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 and you want more. You know what I mean? What's the next thing? Well, the next thing is is to try and repeat it and do it again. And so – you know, as we uh, continue through this this journey right now, and tomorrow we have the um, the parade. You know, at some point in time this week, we're going to turn the page and move on and and start setting ourselves up, hopefully for the same type of success story for next season. Before we talk about repeating, what is the one moment from that game, that celebration, that night that you'll never forget that will always stay with you, Eb? You know what? Um, I, I know everybody was asking me. Um, uh, doing some of the press conferences about the play that we threw to uh, to Tyreek, the third and 15 play, which was uh, a hell of a play. And I expect those guys to do that at all times. And the thing is, to me, it was the thing that we talk about all the time here because everybody sees us as a passing team. But the old running back coach in me never leaves and the thing that I always harp on our guys, especially in a four-minute type situation, is that we have to have the ability to run the ball when teams know that we're going to run it. And the way we ended that game with Damian Williams, you know, and, and, and we had Anthony Sherman in as a lead blocker, the O-line comes off the ball, and we ended up finishing that game with a lead inside zone to our left and, and scoring off that. That right there was the highlight. And do not get me wrong, there's plenty of things to go back on and talk about that play that Pat and um, Tyreek made, but also about the play that uh, Pat threw to uh, Sammy Watkins after he beat uh, uh, Richard Sherman down the right side of our field. But that moment, okay, to me was very, very special because it sealed the deal. What was the coolest text message you got after the game? Somebody unexpected. Anybody? <laughs> you know what, Adam? Um, this is going to sound crazy, but I have over a thousand text messages, so I'm still going through them. Wow. I, I, so, 
And I'm asking everyone to still remain patient, and I will get back to every one of you. It's So it, it's been an overwhelming experience. And at one point in time, I just set my phone down because I, I just couldn't take it because <laughs> and I'm I'm very excited that I have that amount of people reaching out to me. But it's just been a little bit of overwhelming because sometimes I just wanted to sit back and just enjoy just this 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 moment in time. Yeah. Well, was there one that you did see? Obviously, there are a tremendous amount, and you haven't gotten back to everybody, and we'll use this uh, as a public I, you know what? announcement. They, they, they all have been very, very – they've all been very, very good. Um, I mean, I've enjoyed reading a lot of them. Um, just, you know, old friends, high school teammates, high school classmates, uh, former college teammates, former – professional teammates. I mean, they all have, have been special to me. So there's really not one that stands out. I think all of them because they're just, I mean, everybody's just so happy for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it feels good to know that people actually care. And But like I said, it's an overwhelming feel, feeling of emotion right now that I just, I'm having, I'm struggling to put into words. Wow. Before I let you go, you interviewed for a number of head coaching jobs this year. Unfortunately, did not get one of those jobs. What did you learn this year that you could apply next year that would help you during the interview process, EB? One thing is just to continue being who I am. And there is no format that really uh, sets the guidelines when you go in there because every team is different. But... I have to remain who I am and be who I am, and that's to continue to show why Eric Bieniemy deserves a, an opportunity. Because I am, I'm just going to work my tail off. I'm committed. I'm passionate. Uh, I'm very organized. I, you know, I have a, <laughs> I, I do know football. You know, it's amazing uh, that people would probably not think that I don't know football. I absolutely actually work for one of the, the one of the most brilliant minds of all of football yeah. and the thing that I have learned more than anything is just to continue being me yeah. and when it's meant to be you know what Adam it'll happen other than that I'm just going to continue doing what I do here and that's chopping wood and, and turning the page over and getting ready for the next phase of of, of, of this journey that we're going on uh, going through you know into uh, season eight did the thrill of winning a Super Bowl uh, take away from some of the disappointment of not landing a head coaching job? You know what? The, the thrill of having the opportunity to playing through the playoffs and, yes, the opportunity to win the Super Bowl, but I was never disappointed because one thing you learn in this profession, you know, you can't force anyone to hire you. That's totally up to them. I have a great job. I work for a great organization for the Hunt family. We have a great fan support. I happen to work with some outstanding coaches. I have to, I have a great mentor and coach, uh, Andy Reid. And then on top of that, we got some pretty good damn players that are fun to work with. So would I like to receive a head coaching job? Yes, I think everybody wants to be one of the 32 when it's all said and done with. But I have this opportunity to line up and do this again with a lot of good people. And that's, that's fun. That's a lot of fun. 
and it makes it a, a tremendous challenge moving forward because now we got to make sure that we're inspiring our guys and motivating them to come back and do it all over again. Well, E.B., I want to thank you for the time today. I can say, honestly, I think I'm probably one of the few people that has seen you win both a national championship <laughs> and a Super Bowl in person at those games. And it was an honor to do that, and I appreciate you taking some time today to share some of your thoughts about winning Super Bowl 54. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, Mr. Schefter. I greatly appreciate you and all that you have done for me and uh, throughout the number of years that we have known each other. I greatly appreciate you, sir. I appreciate you, E.B. Enjoy sleeping in Sunday morning. Yes, sir. (laughs) And there is the Kansas City Chiefs world champion offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, And now... ESPN reporter Lisa Salters. The excellent reporter from ESPN, colleague of mine, Lisa Salters, and we bring her on because Lisa's coming off a week stretch that I think is unlike a stretch that any reporter has encountered in any recent memory. Lisa was the sideline reporter for the Pro Bowl when the tragic news of Kobe Bryant's helicopter crash spread through that stadium. She spent that day at the Pro Bowl in one of the more difficult assignments I think any reporter could have, then went to the Super Bowl, and I was with her on Thursday morning as we were driving to the Chiefs, and then she flew that day to Los Angeles for the Lakers game on Friday night in which they memorialized Kobe Bryant and the other victims of the helicopter crash, and then when I walked into the hotel on Saturday morning at 8 a.m., 8.30 a.m., there was Lisa in the lobby, and I said, how could she have been on my TV last night in L.A., and now is in the lobby of our hotel in Miami to get ready for the Super Bowl on Sunday, which was broadcast in Australia. So, Lisa, I appreciate you taking some time. And I'm just curious if you could recap what the last week was like for you. Uh, well, it's, it's been difficult, to say the least, um, not just because of the heavy nature of the story, but because um, Kobe Bryant was a friend of mine. And um, so just being on the on the sideline getting ready for the Pro Bowl on Sunday um, and getting that, that hearing that rumor uh, 15 minutes before we went on the air, um, you know, I, I immediately went into kind of denial mode, like this can't be true, this can't be true. Um, I didn't want to text him. Uh, I just started texting some, you know, mutual friends of our people that we know, and, you know, then when it was confirmed, it was just, um, it was awful. Um, so, you know, while you're um, dealing with the grief of the loss of a friend, um, you're also asked to work, uh, which is what we do. Um, we work, you know, we power through. Um, this has just never happened to me before where, you know, the news story has been, you know, actually like a part of my life, somebody that I know that, um, you know, that I, I consider a friend of mine. So um, it's been difficult, to say the least. Um, I know when you asked me to uh, be a part of your podcast, I, you know, didn't say yes right away because Correct. I, you know, I haven't spoken about it. Last week, I, you know, I was asked to go on a couple of radio shows and stuff like that and, and TV and on ESPN, and I just, I couldn't do it. Um, I just wasn't able to speak even to my friends who, you know, were constantly calling and texting. I just kind of just kind of hunkered down and, and went and, and went underground because I just was not able um, to um, talk about it at the time. Uh, it still hurts this week, of course. It's only been, what, 10, 11 days later. Yep. Still hurts, still awful. Um, 
but uh, you know, as as uh, each day goes by, um, and you realize that it's it's not going to change. You, you know, I've, I've kind of been in this in this kind of state where um, I I see everything, and being in LA on Friday and seeing all the tributes and those hundreds and hundreds of people out in that uh, promenade area outside of Staples Center. I just kept thinking like, wow, wait until like I tell Kobe, like, <laughs> like you would not believe the madness that happened when people thought that you died. Um, and you know, you're just in a state of denial. Like you're, this is something we're going to get through and then everything's going to go back to normal and he's going to be here. Um, so it's just been a, a difficult, a difficult, uh, last few days. Well, thank you for coming on. I thank you again. And before we get to talking specifically about the Pro Bowl and what it was like to broadcast that Lakers Trailblazers game on Friday night, I'm curious to know, you mentioned that you and Kobe were friendly. What was the nature of your relationship? How long had you guys been friendly and how did you develop that friendship? Well, Kobe was um, from outside of Philadelphia. I'm from outside of Philadelphia. We are not anywhere close to the same in age, but about 12 years um, apart in age. And um, he went to Lower Marion High School. I went to Upper Marion High School. Um, I did a uh, an E60 feature story um, on Kobe uh, 10 years ago. And so even though we, we knew each other and were, you know, c- you know kind of close then because the Lakers were on, te- were on television, this was, you know, the Lakers Shaq era. I remember all that. I mean, we had Lakers every week. On the on our NBA coverage on ABC, uh, so it was like every week I was either LA at a home game or had them on the road. Much like the last couple of years, it has been the Warriors that we have on every week. Um, so it, it's just when you see someone like that all the time, there are you know you stop at you're staying in the same hotels, you have dinner a few times, you you know have drinks a few times. Um, and you get, you get to be friends. And so, um, you know, and not, you know, you're not just talking about basketball. In fact, I don't know how many times we ever had basketball conversation, maybe a few, but mostly it was just about life. Our kids, uh, me at the time, I was trying to have children at the time. Um, so he was like around for all of that. Uh, when I was trying to have children, when I adopted my, my, my son, he, he was around for all of that. Um, as a friend, um, to offer encouragement and support. So um, just through the years, um, we just became friends. Like we, we, you know, we're not um, um, best friends or anything like that, but, you know, I was proud to call him a friend of mine. If I ever needed anything, I knew that I could give him a call after he retired. You know, we would text a couple times, a couple times a year, just to touch, touch base, keep in touch, how you doing on holidays, stuff like that. Um, so I'll definitely miss him. So how did you get the news finally when it was going around that Pro Bowl Sunday, which we all have been hearing and suspecting but didn't know was true until later? Uh, just from the from our, our truck, um, you know, where everything is coming in and out of the truck. You know how that setup is, yes. Command Central. Um, and our producer, uh, Jay Rothman, just he was hearing the news, and he just kind of related to all of us, me, Booger, Tess, over our IFB. This is what we're hearing. We haven't confirmed it. We're, we don't know if it's it's true, but just so you know, this is what we're hearing. And that was literally like 15 minutes before we were going on the air. And so how do you manage to keep it together 
knowing that a friend of yours and eight others just perished in this helicopter crash that became and still is the talk of our country? Well, I, I didn't. I didn't really. You didn't? I didn't really hold it together. What happened? Um, there were um, there were a lot of tears. Yeah. Uh, the makeup people had to repeatedly um, tend to me to make me look like I had not been um, crying. Uh, the, the players had to. Um, I, I remember Drew Brees is just he's just the kindest, most gracious guy you'll ever meet. Uh, I've never had to have a player console me before during an interview, and he uh, he he knew the pain that I was in, and uh, you know I remember him putting his arm around me and giving me a big hug. I remember Susie Culber um, offered to do the game for me. She said, "If you can't do this, I'll come do it. I'll come to the sidelines for you." And I, that meant a lot. Um, and I almost took her up on it, but uh, I thought just kind of sitting around and not doing anything wasn't going to be better. So, um, no, no, I didn't hold it together all that well. What will you remember about that afternoon after getting the word? Like, there had to be so many emotional moments, and you remember Drew Brees, and you remember Susie, and I remember being in the truck and volunteering, hey, if you need more hands on deck, I didn't do it to you directly, but I said, you know, you want to go all hands on deck and you need our help, let me know, and we'll head right back out there. What stands out to you about that afternoon still when you think back to it? Just how uh, I felt, just how numb I felt. Yeah. And uh, I just kind of felt like I was underwater. Um, couldn't really focus. Um, and, you know, I was just many times just kind of staring. I, I, I could not tell you a single play from the Pro Bowl. I don't remember anything about the game itself. Um, nothing. I don't remember anything about the game. I just remember off at halftime. Um, usually I kind of do some work during halftime and I remember just sitting down and just staring at the ground for like 20 minutes, um, until my, my producer on the field with me said, okay, you got to get up now. It's time, time they're starting again. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I just, I don't remember much about the game at all. Do you remember any players coming to you being that you're the sideline reporter, a point of information, asking you if it happened to be true what we were hearing in that stadium that day? Um, no, they had uh, they had heard already, that, so they knew like they had uh, they had heard it in the locker room and had been had been told what had happened. Um, but players, you know. Uh, while they weren't asking me for information, they were they were certainly kind of conveying their shock, their disbelief, and and uh, and their sorrow. And you saw that you saw that in the in the interviews that uh, that we did. What I was surprised by is that, um, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised because these players are so young. Um, but I was surprised by how many really had never, you know, weren't weren't really um, all that tight with him or or, or had even met him. Um, Mm -hmm. Drew Brees had told me that he met him once. And I was like, really? That seems crazy to me. You're Drew Brees and he's Kobe. Like, how did you, how do you guys not know each other? Like better than that. Um, But, you know, two different worlds, two different circles, football, NBA. 
Um, and I know that, you know, at times the, the worlds, in, you know, collide and intersect. But, um, yeah, I was surprised that for most of the guys, the reaction was, wow, like this, like most fans, like they reacted like fans. Like, I, I can't believe this is the death of a legend. And, um, but they weren't, I, I felt like I was the one who kind of knew him, knew, knew, knew him more than just kind of, the, you know, the guy uh, on the Lakers. So being that you were struggling to hold it together on Sunday during the Pro Bowl, how did you hold it together on Friday night being the sideline reporter for the Lakers Trailblazers game where they honored him and the other victims of the crash? Um, well, that was hard too. Um, the, I think that pregame tribute, it was 25 minutes long, so I didn't hold it together all that great. It's a good thing, you know, they didn't come to me right after that because um, me, like everyone else in the arena, like the announcers, we were all uh, choked up at that time. Anyone who, you know, who knew Kobe, like like we do, and, and you know, even when in talking with, uh, you know, Mike Breen and Jeff Van Gundy and Mark Jackson, again, um, the relationship that they had with Kobe was different than the one that I had. Yep. To them, he, he, you know, their relationship was like the one that I have with most of, of the players, football, basketball. You know, you're like you, like you're cool. You're cool with them, yep. you're cool with all of them. But you know how it is, Adam. There are a few that you become friends with. Of course. And it's and it's more that. So not a lot, but just a few that are that are your friends. Um, and he was just one of those guys. What will you remember about that Friday night experience and what it was like to be in that arena that night? A um, couple things. One, um, you know, I'm in the arena hours before the doors even open to the public. So seeing all of every single seat um, covered with a T-shirt and number eight or a number 24 T-shirt, um, seeing the bowl look like that in all yellow with his number numbers on every seat, that was powerful. It kind of took your breath away. Um, Usher's rendition of Amazing Grace. I mean, he he took took us to church right from the beginning. You felt like you were at a memorial service. Um, and uh, just another thing is just watching the the Lakers, you know, as they were standing for the national anthem, just players hugging each other, yeah. you know, you know, holding each other up, visibly hurting. Um, you don't see that often, and images like that are what will stay with me. Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth, that halftime song, See You Again? That was incredible. Uh, see, and again, at halftime, I am working, so I was not out on the court. I did not. Um, I could hear it in the uh, in the tunnel in the back by the locker rooms, yeah. but I didn't see it. Um, so, but yeah, I can imagine, um, you know, and just seeing the regulars like you know um, Rob Palenka and and Jeannie Bus that you know from a, if you just kind of looked from a distance, everything looked like a normal Lakers game, a regular Lakers game. But then you like you look closer and you see everyone's eyes red and puffy, yeah. and everyone just heartbroken the players that that usually come back for games um you see them i saw matt barnes um you know and he's sad he's he, he's upset and he's like i you know i just saw him he matt was telling me that he also coaches 
his twins basketball team. And he said Kobe would send shoes and would come to their practices. Uh, they're apparently a really good team on the West Coast, a travel team. And, um, you know, everyone, I think, still even Friday, six days later, and I know it was only six days later, yeah. but everyone was still kind of in this kind of just just kind of heartbroken. I wouldn't say shock because the shock part had worn off, but just just kind of um, I, I asked Dwight Howard, you know, how you doing? And he summed it up perfectly. He was just like devastated. We're, de- we're devastated. I think that's what a lot of people felt. So how did you have anything left in your emotional tank to even do the Super Bowl on Sunday? Um, well, because <laughs> they pay, pay me to do it. Um, I have to. Um, but, yeah, it's been – Yeah, honestly, I had a, a pregame workout in the gym at the hotel and you were at that hotel and you saw it wasn't the greatest of, of gyms, but, um, it was really tiny, but it's probably so small that no one wanted to be in there. But on Sunday morning I was in there and I was by myself and I was listening to my gospel music and I just broke down and cried and I felt better after it. But I felt like, and I told my a friend of mine afterwards, I was like, oh, Wow, I just got. I'm glad no one came into that gym because I just went in, and I said I feel a little better now. Like now it's time to go to the Super Bowl. Hmm. Do you ever recall having any kind of week like that, Lisa? Emotionally, anything professionally that could compare to that? Um, I mean, there no, not nothing like that. But I mean, that, I've done some pretty difficult assignments before. Um, when I was with ABC, I covered, uh, you know, the crash of TWA flight 800. Mm. Um, I remember just kind of being just emotionally drained during the nine days or eight or nine days that I, I did that off the coast of East Mauritius. Uh, the Oklahoma City bombing was there, the, there, sent there the afternoon right after the morning that it happened. Mm. So hours later was there for nine days. I remember being, you know, emotionally wiped out after that. Um, But it's different, you know, when you feel, when you have a personal connection to something. Um, It's certainly, you know, as a human being, I felt for everyone involved in that that plane crash and in the bombing. Um, But it is, it's just a little different when you have a personal connection to a tragedy. Um, So, yeah, like I said, I've, I've, done some some gut-wrenching stories before but uh this was different well i want to thank you very much for agreeing to take this time and when i had asked you to do this last thursday you said let me think about it and i appreciate the fact that you did think about it and come back to me with you being willing to do this because i think everybody wanted to hear i wanted to hear what you had to say about this and you handled it like a pro and you did a great job and i salute you for all the work you put in, how you handled it. And again, like I said, I was just blown away to see you do all these things all within the span of one week with your emotional gas tank on empty. So I I tip my cap to you, Lisa. That was a great job. Thanks. Thank you for the time today, Lisa. Be well, and uh, and I hope you get some downtime here. Thank you. That's pretty emotional stuff right there from Lisa Salters. A special thanks for her agreeing to join this podcast this week, which I know is not a simple and easy decision for her to make, and we truly appreciate Lisa's time insight and perspective and special thanks to my longtime friend the chief's offensive coordinator eric Bieniemy, who got to enjoy 
a win in Super Bowl 54. And special thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we'll have other special guests for you then. Until then, have a great week, everybody.